This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. Questions like, why does everyone love to Haiti Dinah? How does Minnesota have so many Fortune 500 companies? What's the story behind Minnesota Nice? We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. It's a chilly episode of the podcast today. We're going to explore how early Minnesota settlers survived cold winters in the state. But first, to set the mood, step back in time with me to rural Minnesota in the 1860s. It's a cold, windy night on the tundra, and you are trudging back through the snow after one of your cows got loose. You're clad in a woolen sweater and your leather boots are stuffed with straw for a bit of warmth. There's not much to see for miles around, just darkness. You've made it back to your isolated cabin now, which is also dark except for the glow of the fire. You can still feel some of that draft through the windows, but now it's time to huddle around the fire and heat up some porridge for dinner. What's that noise? Oh, right, there's chickens in here. Well, while we're waiting for our porridge to heat up, let's hear from Ken Klein, who asked this week's question. It always occurs to me, I'm a psychologist, that uh, we think we had things hard for us when we get a snowstorm or a school closing. And for them, there was mere survival. How do we get through this awfully cold and demanding environment, caring for our family's health, shelter, welfare, basic needs? And uh, my question to the Star Tribune was, so what do we know about how they coped? I certainly appreciate everything they did because our state has a lot to be thankful for in terms of them establishing a successful community. Uh, There's lots of communities that didn't thrive and didn't survive, and that was my interest in having the Star Tribune investigate this further. I'm here with Mara Klecker, who wrote this story for us this January, and we wanted to get to it here on the podcast before the winter weather escapes us. So, Mara, who are we talking about generally, and and where are they coming? coming from. Uh, Here we're talking about the settlers to Minnesota in the mid-19th century coming from Scandinavian countries. Okay. And so set the scene for us. They're coming into a situation where they don't have a lot, right? They would come with maybe, in your story, it said a Bible and a trunk. Not that much, essentially. Yeah. In some cases, families were limited to just bringing one trunk with them. So even if they were fortunate to have, you know, fur pelts in their home country, that's probably not what was going to be taking up the bulk of the space in that one trunk. They're bringing the Bible and the the sheer essentials and just kind of hoping they can get through those first few winters as they start accumulating more things once they get here. So what does a shelter look like for a an early Scandinavian settler in Minnesota, in rural Minnesota? We have timber in Minnesota, or, and they did, and so they definitely used the timber to build log homes in similar fashion to the log homes they probably would have had in their home countries. Okay, and it's not just logs on these exterior walls, right? No, they're putting clay or moss in between the logs as insulation, and then if they did have extra fabric lying around, they're hanging that on the inner walls of the log cabin just as an extra layer of insulation. And just to highlight the importance of timber for these people, 
people. We found an interesting interview from the Minnesota Historical Society. It was done in 1975, and it's with a woman named Anna Ahonen, and she's of Finnish descent. And she talks about her Finnish ancestors in the 1880s in South Dakota, where they didn't have a lot of timber. And so these would be sod houses, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So let's hear a little bit from Anna and what she has to say, particularly about windows, which I thought was very interesting. It was a bare prairie without any wood or timber. They built a sod hut, first a one-room sod hut, and the second sod hut, by the time my mother was born, had uh, two rooms and a little lean-to for animals. My mother did boast of the fact that their sod hut had uh, little windows with four panes, while most of the sod huts in that area still had oiled paper for windows even during the winter blizzards. So back in Minnesota, what might you find if you were to go inside one of these homes in the mid to late 19th century of these early settlers? Yeah, well, they'd be pretty small, and the mattresses would be straw, and the kids would probably be sharing a mattress, so two or three children to one bed, and that's just for the sheer benefit of added body heat. Then there's probably also straw on the floor for insulation, but also because the animals are inside. Mm -hmm. They're bringing um, the small animals inside for just the benefit, again, of added body heat for the animals and for the people. Just Mm -hmm. the more bodies in the room, the more heat there is. Right. There's kind of straw everywhere. There's straw in the beds. There's straw on the floor. There's even straw on the shoes, right? Yes. So if they didn't have any leather moccasins or anything with them, they're probably wearing wooden clogs and they're stuffing that with straw for insulation. So, you know, imagine walking through the snow with wooden clogs and straw around your feet. Mm-hmm. Now, you spoke to Dr. Lena Norman, who's a, an expert in Swedish history at the University of Minnesota, and she had an interesting quote in your story where she said, Thinking back to their life, my goodness, they must have been cold. So we've been talking about kind of all these ways that they kept warm against the cold, but they were very cold. Now, we found an interesting letter in the book Bring Warm Clothes, which is a great book of primary source uh, history from early Minnesota and written by a Star Tribune alumna, by the way. This is from Margaret Kerr. So who is Margaret Kerr? Yeah, Margaret and her husband, Robert Kerr, were married in Scotland in 1864. And then 10 years later, he was a Protestant missionary and they settled a colony of Scots in Wadena, Minnesota. So Ms. Kerr is not happy right now. According to this letter, she is not happy. Okay, so so l- let us hear a little bit from Ms. Kerr. What, what is she saying? Sure, so this letter is to her daughter, and she's kind of just making a bulleted list of all of her complaints from, from these winters, and she's saying that she had heard that this was one of the coldest winters since Fort Snelling was built. Again, she's talking about 1874. It was cold from the middle of October, from the 15th of October, and they had snow until the last of April, so this was a long winter. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't have any roads, she writes that they were unable to go anywhere until they, as a family, could get a horse and sleigh. And then her husband went out and tried to get people to come to church service once he had this horse and sleigh. And she writes one of her quotes here, I didn't blame people for not coming because none of them had horses. And to drive behind oxen four, five, six, seven, and eight miles through deep snow with the master of the house walking ahead to break the way 
for the slow-going oxen needed a great deal of grace as well as courage. Many people had not sufficient clothing to protect them from freezing. I don't like to think of all the hardships I underwent that winter. And then comes the bulleted list. Mm -hmm. Um, Of her hardships. Of her own hardships, right. Which range from retrieving frozen potatoes from the cellar, having to thaw out her bread, and drinking what she says was weedy-tasting milk once they finally got a cow. Hmm. That's unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. And then she writes of the men that would come in if they were unable to afford a hotel. They would come in and, you know, ask to stay with her and her family. And so one of her quotes here, all my good bedding had to many times be spread out on the floor to accommodate men who were weather bound and had no money to pay hotel bills. And she goes on to complain about how uh, maybe gross some of these men were. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and so that tells us a little bit about what people were thinking during some of this period. In a related story, our colleague David Channon wrote about how indigenous communities in Minnesota survived winters. And this would have been long before these settlers arrived. So what were some highlights from that story that were of note? Yeah, something that really surprised me. So when the tribes were living throughout the state, there's actually records and meteorological studies to say that from 1600 to 1850, the climate here was generally colder and wetter. And they call it Minnesota's own little ice age. So they really were, Mm -hmm. you know, having to find ways to to stay warm when it was kind of extra cold. And they were building houses of birch bark, which doesn't mold. And then there would be like a pit in the middle of the home with rocks buried underneath the floor. And then those rocks would be heated and that would help kind of radiate warmth throughout the space. Mm -hmm. And then they would be covering, you know, the framework again with, with that bark and animal skins then to cover the door and the chimney hole. And then they were wearing animal skins, of course, to keep warm themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like caribou fur was mm-hmm. called out in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also forecasting was very important, right? Because, I mean, knowing when something is coming is, is very is integral to this. Yeah, that's how they would be able to prepare for harsh storms. So they kind of relied on some of the elders who would pick up ways to forecast the storms that were coming in. If the wind was bringing clouds from the north, they felt that that meant a blizzard was coming. Um, they also paid attention to woodpeckers. If woodpeckers were sharing a tree or a nest, maybe that meant that a harsh winter was coming and they would start preparing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's really interesting. And so, you know, flash forward to today, we have so many things. We take it for granted how many modern uh, amenities we have to survive winter. I'm going to put you on the spot here. So if you had, if there's just one piece of modern uh, apparel or gear that you think is just the integral to surviving a Minnesota winter in 2020, what what would it be? I'm pretty thankful for Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex. Okay, yeah. so these are the underlayers there. Yes. Okay, got it. I, I'm really into laceless boots. <laughs> Ever since I got laceless boots, I can't. I, I remembered how much time I was spending uh, lacing up my boots, and I was very unhappy about it. I got laceless boots, and suddenly... I really do think a lot of my life is just better. I don't know. I feel better in so many ways, and I want to tell the whole world about it. So it's strange how that's happened. I have not made that transition, but... (laughs) Okay. Well, listeners, tell me what you think. Maybe tweet at me. If you get laceless boots and you like it, let me know. Or if you already have them and you agree with me, also let me know. Well, Mara, thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. We learned a lot today about how people survived Minnesota winters long before 2020 and all of our modern amenities. So thanks so much for doing that research. Yeah, thank you. 
Before we go, let's talk about you for a second. You, the inquisitive listeners of Curious Minnesota. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'll bet you've got tons of great questions about life in Minnesota. So can you do me a favor? Can you use the voice recorder app on your smartphone and record a brief message explaining one of those questions and email it to Curious at StarTribune.com. We may feature it, and more importantly, the answer from an expert on a future episode of the podcast. It's remarkably easy and would make me a very happy podcast host. And while we're at it, we're still looking for your thoughts about Edina for an upcoming episode about why everyone loves to hate Edina, featuring my colleague John Reinen. So if you have thoughts on that, email those recordings to curious at startribune.com. Lastly, I'm having a lot of fun making this show, and hopefully you're having some fun listening to it. If you're enjoying it, please do me another favor, and this is an easier one. Tell a friend about it, perhaps even a group of friends. Anything you can do to help get the word out would be greatly appreciated. And if you have any feedback, shoot me a note at eroper at startribune.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.